When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate. You call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did it. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people they can become something more like the battles that we never could. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Chris Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, it's kind of a mixed bag, but overall, okay. I'm doing really good. It's been a couple weeks since we've been mm-hmm. able to do a catch-up with everybody. And of course, in that couple of weeks, unfortunately, Chadwick Boseman died. And that was a, a great loss felt across the Marvel family. It's, it's just really been bumming me out. And other news, there is good news. The WandaVision trailer has come out. Just very excited for that show. Oh, it's going to be excellent. We can't wait for it. I've been singing the tunes on it since we started this podcast. It's the show Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the most of all this announced shows thus far. Even though I am really excited about the Loki miniseries. But WandaVision, I feel like they have the most room to expand, to get crazy, maybe pull in some of that. The Vision stuff, like I said, go more of a Lynchian vibe. And turns out from this trailer, they are going a little bit Lynchian vibe, which I'm pretty into as well. But that aside, Chris, Chadwick Boseman's death really gutted me. And I, I feel awful that we didn't talk about him on our last episode, but we were so laser focused on Ronan and Drax and you know, to be completely transparent here, like we actually had to record that episode a couple times because we had technical difficulties, literally tornadic weather here. That made me lose my recording as we were doing it, which is awful. So we had to go again. And of course, I'm still reeling from Chadwick's death because the guy was a superhero in real life because only his close family knew, not even anyone at the Marvel Studios knew, which it just kind of shows a testament to his character, his strength. He was going through this as he was filming Infinity War and Endgame, which is just absolutely mind-blowing, and potentially even Black Panther. Bonkers. The strength that the guy had, and that he just kept it between him and his family, and didn't burden anyone with it, and became this incredible beacon and superhero for 
kids across the world, and especially kids of color, is just can't be replaced. We say that. A listener reached out to us shortly after his death and said it was really bittersweet that they were listening to our Black Panther episode oh, where Black no. Panther is going through several bouts of illness and comas and brain aneurysms and stuff, which is just absolutely brutal. But the light at the end of the tunnel, Chris, is if you do listen to our Black Panther episode where we go through his entire lore, Shuri does take up the mantle of the Black Panther. It'll never be the same with Chadwick gone, but Shuri picking up the mantle of the Black Panther is a route they can go in the future, not out of convenience, out of respect and out of kind of leaning into the canon of the comics. It is absolutely canon, and it is something that I feel like they were kind of planning on doing with the emphasis on Shuri that they've put in marketing. I felt that they've had bigger plans for her character for a while now. Maybe they have to step those up faster than they wanted to. I could still see them recasting T'Challa. They want to follow canon. There is a lot, lot, lot more that T'Challa has to give the Marvel Universe. I I wouldn't be surprised if they recast. I don't think that's likely, though. I mean, I I get what you're saying, because he plays such a pivotal part in so many stories coming up. Obviously, the MCU is taking a different path with all the major stories anyways. Sure. And this is just a pivoting point for them. And this isn't even as extreme as something like Carrie Fisher dying in the middle of a Star Wars trilogy and where they have to make an extreme pivot last minute, which affected the entire trilogy as a whole. T'Challa's current story is done, and we were really looking forward to the next part. And he was actually intending on filming Black Panther 2 and getting through it, which is really upsetting and disheartening. So they can pivot now. Unfortunately, the whole world's been on hold anyways because of COVID. So filming's been on hold for all the Marvel movies that had not started production before the pandemic. So this is hopefully a time for them to reassess and figure it out and respect him and his family the best way possible, but also give Shuri time to shine. Chris, this is pretty weird and meta. A lot of things happen to Black Panther in the comics where he passes away, goes to the afterlife. Right. I'm not sure what route they can take, but him going to the afterlife and guiding Shuri towards the mantle are things we have covered on our show that would make sense. Yes, and that's kind of where I'm going with the, I wouldn't be surprised if he's recast just for those kind of cameo roles, not necessarily to lead a movie, but maybe in the background, you know, he does take the mantle of a panther god. Right. In the comics. There's no telling. And you have a good point. I still don't think they'll recast him but with Disney magic and Marvel magic and, of course, what we saw in Star Wars. That's very true. Carrie was dead for years, and all the scenes with Carrie and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker were all pre-filmed footage and pre-filmed lines from the previous two films of the Star Wars trilogy that were unused. Thank goodness J.J. had them, and they built entire scenes around her. And, you know, Chadwick's such a phenomenal actor. He was in a lot of scenes, so this also could be a possibility in the future too but of course it would have to be done in a way that makes sense for the character for the story and respect to him and his family so i would love to see him even if just his voice from the spirit realm to shuri that could definitely be something they do take something from one of his previous takes and movie magic time will tell the world's not gonna be the same place every interview the guy was in he was just such a graceful and loving person, stand-up guy for all the reasons. And not just because he was likable as this character, but him in real life, which is truly the saddest part of this. You know, it's really hard to even hear his castmates say they had no idea, but it kind of is just a testament to the guy. You know, we're still reeling from it. And I think the entire Marvel world is reeling from it. Not only the MCU, but just Marvel fans as a whole. So we wanted to take time here on the show to talk about it because... 
what a loss, man. What a loss for the whole world. And his story is amazing. If you look up his story, some of his interviews, I highly recommend it. Him literally getting into acting school, you know, via chance and it being funded by Denzel Washington. I mean, the story is just completely unbelievable and unreal. Denzel Washington helped Black Panther (laughs) exist and bring it to the world. And it's just all these pieces that fell into place for him to affect certain people. I do not think it was all chance. Such an awful loss. He was... At least we have him forever memorialized in these movies because he's a presence on screen. We've talked about it in our Black Panther episode, and we will continue to sing his praises because I can't imagine anyone else. I just can't. No, the role is his forever. Well, and Chris, he also did the thing that we always talk about we love on this show so much. You and I as comic book fans, he brought this character to life to the entire general public. And right. he was received by everyone with loving arms, and they loved this character that they didn't know about prior to his appearance in Civil War. That is a testament to what he brought to the character, if anything. Of course, outside of the character, he was the guy that he was off the stage. It's a huge loss, and there is light in some of this darkness, like we said. Hopefully, all the Marvel productions are getting back on track. WandaVision, of course, is still coming very soon. Falcon and the Winter Soldier was delayed, which is still tough. We don't know when it's coming out, but it's coming. We've seen more screen caps from that. Bucky and Falcon both have new suits, new looks, of course, which is great. It's a great time to be a Marvel fan, Chris. And what we talked about in recent shows, too, this next phase of Marvel. I know you're excited about it. I know I'm excited about it. And I'm just excited to see where they go because it is so open. And they've already talked about they're going more cosmic. But where are they going to go from there? I'm just excited for the Moon Knight television series. That is the thing I look forward to the most. It's coming, right? It has to be. It's coming. Let's also not forget that Marvel acquired the rights to the X-Men, so things are in place, you know. That'll be its own major phase, I feel like. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and it'll probably be after this cosmic thing Cosmic thing they're doing. Which hopefully with the cosmic thing, too, it might be a lot of introductions of a lot of new characters like the Eternals and more of this sort of immortal stuff and who knows what else. But after that, they might jump over to X-Men and they'll come back to Cosmic again, you know, and bring everybody together once again, like they brought us together at the end with Infinity War and Endgame. I have a feeling that the X-Men will kind of cameo a little bit near the end of the next phase in the Cosmic phase. They have done plenty of things in space and will continue to do plenty of things in space. It's wide. Yeah, they are very at home in the cosmic Marvel universe. And who knows, Chris, with shows like this WandaVision where they're going a completely different direction and they're not going this sort of movie focus and even necessarily a superhero battle focus, more of a drama slash surrealist route they're going with this, sort of the Visions route from our Visions episode. If it does well, who knows what they'll do next? And that's what I hope the most. When things like The Mandalorian and wandavision do well on disney plus and that gives you know the people that front the money confidence to take chances on these kind of offshoots i want more of that i certainly want a lot more of that so we'll see what happens there as well it's a bright future for marvel and i think the brightest part that people aren't discussing enough is just how open it is now that they've kind of gone through this whole major main storytelling and now they can kind of break off in different paths of course chris we talked about last week we're still really enjoying our new art and our T public page, which is great. And I, once again, was in the throes of three weeks of sickness last week. And of course, 
Chris and I had to record the episode a couple times, so not the best circumstances, though. I'm really happy with our direction running episode, Chris. I would be completely remiss. I did mention the artist, Ross Champlain, a friend of mine, but most importantly, he has a podcast called Panels and Reels at the intersection of comics and movies, and I've actually been on their podcast before as a guest, as a Star Wars correspondent, Chris. No one better for that than you, my friend. It was really fun talking with these guys about Star Wars. It's fun to talk about people with Star Wars who maybe aren't just a general audience, but aren't on my extreme over-the-top level. Ah, like me. That's right. Somewhere in the middle, you know, and I had great discussion with them. They're all cinemaphiles and movie experts and also very versed in comic books. I highly recommend their show. I think their show is a really laid back, enjoyable hangout format discussing comic book movies, movies in general and comic books. Lately, they've been doing Nolan related content, of course, because of the release of Tenet. But before that, they did the entire Dark Knight trilogy. Before that, they did every Spider-Man movie. So I highly recommend their show. Check them out. Panels and Reels. Look it up. And it's a great listen. And if anything, Ross is the host of that. And he made us wonderful art. And Chris, that wonderful art is on our T public page, like I mentioned last week. So if you guys are interested in getting a t-shirt, we have our main logo on there right now. And of course, as Chris and I alluded to last week, we'll have more hopefully in the future, depending on how these go, you know, people like these, they pick them up. We're going to pursue this more in the future. Jesse, I am super excited about the T public page and I hope you guys are too, but now it's time to turn our attention towards matters at hand. Friends. Today, we discuss the children of Thanos, the Black Order. Let's do it. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to www.discountgamesinc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for their support. You guys keep the lights on. You help us cover all of our fees and also help us fuel future products. A huge thank you this week to our newest patron, Andrew D. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew, thank you so much. And of course, we want to send a big shout out to our producer, Matthew R. Matthew, we appreciate you so much. That Avenger producer level of the Patreon tier does so much to help keep this show going and help us expand our content. Once again, thank you. Yeah, and of course, Chris, I made a post on the Patreon and of course in our patron discord, our Asgardian tier and up, I'm trying to add even more rewards for those people because they are the highest contributors to Fury's Finest, Asgardians, and then of course the Avengers producers. So you and I are kind of brainstorming some more ideas, but you know, if you're interested in things like admin access on the discord and your own unique icon on the discord, those are some things that we're offering. And I'm also working on some other future ideas and continuing to add more to these two tiers because they are the max contributors. Chris and I have decided to add a second RSS feed, which is us not doing a Furious Finest episode, but us doing a sort of unedited raw hangout discussion. And that's going to be whatever we talk about that week. Of course, a lot of time it might revolve around Marvel. Like today, we could have gone into greater depth with the WandaVision trailer. These are things that we're going to offer in that area. Also, just kind of hangouts and discussions about characters that we think need more discussion, but maybe not in our 
standardized format. Chris and I already had a couple instances of this where we were like, man, we wish the mic was rolling. If you remember those, Chris. Oh, I absolutely do. I think about them every time we record. And forget all of that aside, we're also going to just do things like talking about the Marvel shows and things that aren't Marvel altogether. You're going to get a glimpse into me and Jesse's friendship outside of Fury's Finest a little bit. That's right. Which encompasses a lot of Turbo Nerd things. Turbo Nerd is absolutely right. We've said it before and we'll keep saying it. But yeah, if you're in that Asgardian tier and up, you're going to get the special RSS feed. So be looking out for that. All you're going to do is add it to your podcast app of choice manually because, of course, it's a secret feed that you can't find normally. And then you get to hear us pontificate, discuss Turbo Nerd things and much more. So stay tuned for that. So we really appreciate those higher tier patrons who are really investing in the show and making sure it's free for everyone else. All right, Chris, let's get over to lore. So Chris, we're coming off the tail end of a big series, the guardians of the galaxy. And we kind of did an unconventional Fury's finest thing for the guardians of the galaxy, which in passing was a lot more work for both of us. I think it was worth it. Not only did it get through the MCP releases in a quicker way, but it also kind of gave us interesting ways to juxtaposition characters and just have these deeper episodes. It did require more writing, more reading, more production by a lot. And I think it's worth it though. And it seems like you guys really enjoyed the Guardian series. And I think that's something we're going to pursue in the future with certain characters that make sense if they go together. Right, Chris? Oh, absolutely. I really enjoyed putting those together for like what you said, the juxtaposition. I thought that was really cool to see these characters that were so intertwined, whether they had comic books together or stories together. In some cases, they were rarely in the same room, but their Mm -hmm. stories were so intertwined through these particular arcs or through their history that seeing them compared side by side was was really kind of a cool thing. Absolutely. And on our show, we like to be thorough. We like to get as much information to you guys as possible, as much interesting and exciting discussion, also in a really tight, high-produced format, and get as much as you guys as we can in our allotted time, which we always try to hit that same amount of time. So obviously, Chris, this format's not going to work in the future for a lot of characters, and we're going to stick to our standard format, which is one character. It just made sense for the Guardians. And when other characters come up in the future where we can do a double feature, we're going to do it. It's more work and I think it's worth it because you guys enjoyed it. All that to be said, we're up in the ante this week again. We're doing more than a double feature and this will not be a normal probably occurrence in the future, but it seemed right today. And maybe you can lead us into that idea, Chris. Well, today presented a unique challenge, not in that there was too much lore, but we had to figure out how to do this lore. The Black Order were created in 2013. They do not have a lot of history. They do not have a lot of history together. The members of the Black War have changed since 2013. So what we did is we combined all four characters from the Black Order that are in Crisis Protocol into one episode today. That's right. And the reason we did that is these characters were legitimately introduced in mostly the same comic book. They are tied together and they are forever tied together. So we're going to throw them together. Ladies and gentlemen, Corvus Glaive, Proxima Midnight, Ebony Maw, and the Black Dwarf are about to happen. Special consideration to Supergiant, who didn't make <laughs> it into Marvel Crisis Protocol, but you're going to hear the name anyway. I love it. Let's start off like we always do. Who is the Black Order? The Black Order is a group of ruthless aliens that serve Thanos. In most incarnations, they consist of Thanos' adopted children, Ebony Maw, Corvus Glaive, Proxima Midnight, Black Dwarf, and Supergiant. 
and are depicted as having sworn blind loyalty to their father Thanos, aiding him in his quest to obtain the six Infinity Gems. Now, these guys are all very, very powerful. Yes. This is a super group, man. This is Hulk Hogan and Macho Man teaming. <laughs> this is the superpowers, dude. So when did they first appear? Corvus Glaive appeared a little bit before everybody else. The Black Order was created by Jonathan Hickman and Jim Chung. Corvus's first appearance is in Infinity Free Comic Book Day. So every year, of course, there's Free Comic Book Day. I highly suggest that you go to your local That's comic great. shop on Free Comic Book Day. Pick up free comics, peruse, see what what collected editions they have for cheap. But anyway, I highly recommend it. This came out in May 2013, and this was Corvus. And then Proxima Midnight, Ebony Maw, and Black Dwarf are all introduced in New Avengers number 8, September 2013. Right. Notable here, Chris, the first one we see is Corvus Glaive. And if you read Infinity, Corvus Glaive is front and center and kind of the leader of this faction, which is an interesting twist from the MCU. Yes. Because in the MCU, Ebony Maw is the leader of this particular group, after Thanos, of course. In the comics, it's actually Corvus Glaive. And the last notable thing I want to mention before we get to more of the MCU stuff, Chris, is of course, we say Black Dwarf, but the MCU calls Black Dwarf Obsidian Cull, which then leads to Cull Obsidian, which is what the Black Order actually call themselves. That is the actual name of the Black Order. So for the MCU, they flipped the Black Order's name, what they call themselves, to give Black Dwarf a different name. It's really interesting. It's all intertwined. So yeah, we are in the Black Order here, but of course, Cull Obsidian is what they call themselves. So let's get into the history here. The first servant of Thanos to be made a member of the dreadful Black Order was his favorite one, Corvus Glaive. He was later joined by the Butcher Squadron survivors Ebony Maw and Proxima Midnight, as well as his brother Black Dwarf and also Supergiant. At some point, the Black Order served Thanos against Ego, the living planet, whose very existence was an offense to death, and thus to Thanos as well. Their battle ultimately ended in a stalemate. Of course, Thanos in the Marvel comics is dating death on and off. There, it's complicated on Facebook for sure. (laughs) And then on top of that, you've kind of got this mantra of the Black Order to worshiping death and embodying everything that death entails, not only the character, but the essence of death. And that's a whole other thing that they kind of ascribe to. Years later, after learning the Avengers had left the Earth unguarded to battle the Builders in space, Thanos assembled his Black Order once more to invade the planet. By analyzing the memories of an Outrider previously sent to Earth to uncover its secrets, Thanos learned that most of the Infinity Gems were lost by the Illuminati. So he sent the Black Order after the remaining one, the Time Gem. The Black Order landed in different points on Earth in order to confront the Illuminati and discover the Time Gem's location. In New York City, Ebony Maw was able to take control of Doctor Strange, making him help find what Thanos was seeking. In Wakanda, Black Dwarf and his army were defeated by the Black Panther. In Atlantis, Proxima Midnight convinced Namor to tell her where the Time Gem was. At the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning, Corvus Glaive and Supergiant faced the X-Men, but left upon realizing there was no Infinity Gem there. They also decimated the X-Men. <laughs> they absolutely decimated everybody who stood in front of them. They just like murdered everyone. Logan even got stabbed by Corvus's his glaive. Yeah, it's crazy. Namor told Proxima Midnight that the Time Gem was in Wakanda. 
prompting the Black Order to quickly seize the country at a later point. In the Necropolis, they found the Illuminati's antimatter bombs. Meanwhile, Ebony Maw located the other thing Thanos was looking for on Earth, his son, Thane. The Black Order, minus Supergiant, departed to Greenland, Ebony Maw's location, for Thanos to kill his son, Thane. Following his defeat at the hands of the Black Panther, Black Dwarf was left to guard the peak as it was discovered the Avengers were returning to Earth. Black Dwarf was killed when the Avengers regained control over the peak. By Ronan. That is correct. Supergiant was killed when the antimatter bombs she activated were transported along with her by Lockjaw, an inhuman dog and ally of the Illuminati, to a distant uninhabited planet. Corvus Glaive was killed by Hyperion when the Avengers arrived in Greenland in order to confront Thanos. And finally, Ebony Maw double-crossed Thanos and freed Thane to let him fight his father, prompting Thane to trap Thanos, Proxima Midnight, and Corvus Glaive in an amber construct which left them in a state of living death. The remaining members of the Black Order resurrected Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight, and Thanos later joined the Cabal to aid Namor encountering incursions and that's where we're going to leave this lore story as this is the end of this particular incarnation of the black order not a really long one but it was a wild ride what's crazy about this wild ride chris is you can read this and i'm sure we're about to get this comic book recommendations later but this is essentially all the main events that happen around infinity and the comics that supplement infinity right If you like these characters, if you like them as villains, that's the series you need to read. And notice it does end on Corvus Glaive resurrecting himself because, of course, he has the Glaive of Immortality. And he always comes back if you don't destroy the Glaive, which is another important part that we're going to see. You have to. We're going to see in our strategy section. So I think it's pretty cool. Of course, Chris, in the MCU, the Black Order are subtly different. They are mentioned in Guardians of the Galaxy for the first time when Thanos is talking with Ronan. He's talking about his army and then his children, then the Black Order. But of course, there are movies where they really shine and where they're really in is Avengers Infinity War. They're prominently, prominently displayed. And Avengers Endgame, they still play a major role. What more can be said, Chris? Them and Thanos steal the show of Infinity War. What's crazy is audiences did not know these characters. And not only were they afraid of them, They kind of knew the characters by the end as this super group of bad guys, like you mentioned earlier. And I think by the end, too, how could you not enjoy that performance of Ebony Maw and that portrayal of Ebony Maw? He truly was a problem for Doctor Strange. He was the standout in the Black Order, for sure. I really wanted it to be Corvus, as Corvus is my favorite character from the Black Order. But they handled the whole group very well. They kept it mysterious. They kept them very intimidating. They never lost face too much to lose credibility. Right, they all were super powerful. Until they were actually defeated. They retained their credibility through the whole film, which is a very, you know, kind of professional wrestling thing to do for bad guys. It works. It it works when you don't have a lot of screen time for characters like this. Going off of what you just said, it works too when they win several skirmishes throughout the movie. They don't lose till the end. Ebony Maw literally captures Strange and Tony and Peter hitch a ride on the ship and, you know, to hopefully save Strange. And they eventually kill Ebony Maw. Up until that point, Ebony Maw is such a threat and they really fleshed him out in an interesting way in this. And Chris, the changes they make for the MCU really make sense for these characters. Black Dwarf 
has a lot smaller role in this, and that's okay. He's just kind of the tank brawler guy who doesn't even talk. He's more of just a lizard man type character. And then, of course, Corvus and Proxima, it is a bummer they have less dialogue, less screen time. Corvus even has less than Proxima, and Maw kind of steals the show. But I think it was necessary for the plot of the movie because, you know, if we start fleshing out Corvus Glaive and Proxima on top of Maw, on top of Thanos, not only now do we have an increased runtime of already one of the longest Marvel movies in existence, but we also might confuse audiences who the true threats are, you know, who the true focuses are. And I think, like you said, they serve their purpose well. They absolutely do. And to your point there, Marvel's done a great job with their films. One of the things I think they've done the best with their films is not beat us over the head with origin after origin after origin after origin. A lot of these villains are presented to us as villains. They are just bad people. They want destruction. They must be stopped. And that's really all you need to know for the sake of the movie. That's absolutely true. You don't need to go into their entire comics history for the sake of this movie. If they're a character that is loved, you can expound upon that later in maybe a spinoff film, TV show. I just think Marvel has done such a great job of not beating us over the head with things that previous comic book movies tended to do. And I think that bridging the gap is always a great thing to do, and they do it so well in the MCU. Sometimes as as comic book fans, it is a bummer. Corvus Glaive is such a force in these comics. He's such a commanding presence. He's still commanding presence in the movies, but it's more physical. It's more aggressive. It's not this sort of terrifying leader that he is in the comics, but concessions are made. The story always comes first. Absolutely. I think they achieved that goal. And so much so, Chris, they even make subtle changes to these characters. It's like maybe bring Corvus and Proxima's power levels down, but then bring the Maw up. And I guess I'll expand on that a little bit. Really interesting for me as someone to read Infinity after seeing Infinity War to see the Maw be visually very similar, character-wise very similar, power set a little bit different. We can get into that here in a second get into power sets, but I was pretty interested to see that the route the MCU actually made the Maw even more powerful than he is, but in a different way, in a more flashy way, which actually makes logical sense with the MCU. That was a kind of a surprise to me because the Maw in the comics, he has power with his words and mind control, and that's his number one weapon. The Maw in the MCU... He also has his words, his his incantations and stuff. Mainly he has his telekinesis and his sort of Sorcerer Supreme type powers like Strange has. If that makes sense? It makes perfect sense. But there's a point in there I want to expand upon, but I think it's best left for our post-show hangout. Perfect. So Chris, let's get into these characters' superpowers. Starting with Corvus, Corvus possesses the typical attributes of a superpowered individual, including super strength, speed, endurance and heightened senses, and some invulnerability. Most importantly, Corvus's immortality stems from his weapon, a glaive that when remaining in one piece allows him to survive anything, including being completely obliterated. The glaive itself can slice through any known thing and person in the universe. If Corvus ever loses his weapon or it is thrown, he can recall it to his hand. His power set is part of what makes Corvus my favorite character from the Black Order. I've always loved glaives in video games. I try to use them when I can. (laughs) They always looked cool to me. Yeah. His immortality stemming from his glaive, his melee combat, you know, hand-to-hand combat. He's the best. No one. All things that appeal to me. 
So let's talk about Proxima now. Proxima possesses the typical attributes of a superpowered individual, including superhuman strength, speed, endurance, and durability, just like Corvus. She's able to survive planetary reentry without injury. She's also a master combatant and owns a spear created from a star that was trapped in a quantum singularity by Thanos himself. That is quite the weapon. That's unbelievable. These characters' weapons. Let's talk about that spear a little bit. The spear is capable of drastic harm based on how it is thrown and who it is used against, becoming a multi-pronged lance of poisonous energy that follows their target, never missing. Said force is fatal to whomever it pierces, killing the victim in minutes. It can revert to star form, gaining infinite mass, which weighs down prey in an energy entanglement. This effect can even bind and revert an enraged Hulk back to Bruce Banner upon removal. That is strong. Very OP. Let's get into the Ebony Maw, because his name in comics is actually the Ebony Maw, which I adore. The Ebony Maw has genius-level intellect. He mostly demonstrates his intelligence with highly skilled abilities and manipulation, being described as a black tongue that spreads mischief and evil wherever he goes. Ebony Maw's skills at manipulation are a result of his superhumanly persuasive voice, which allows him to control even the strongest minds, such as Doctor Strange. From time to time, he's also used technology that specializes in teleportation and force field generation. Chris, I said telekinesis, Sith powers, any of the stuff that we see in the MCU. He literally uses his words and things happen and mind control happens against other characters. That is such a Jonathan Hickman thing. It's crazy. That is him to a T. He's used this theme before. I kind of love it. We'll talk more about it later. Well, and it makes a lot of sense too, Chris. The Ebony Amon being the voice and political tongue of the Black Order. Not only does he control people in combat with his words, he spreads rumors. He makes politics happen in the galaxy. He's more of like a high sparrow off of Game of Thrones or something. Master manipulator. He controls so many avenues of information of the galaxy as well. Let's talk now about Obsidian Cole, the Black Dwarf. Superhuman strength, superhuman density, superhuman durability. His skin is also unbreakable. It allowed him to withstand attacks from Ronin, the Super Scroll, and Annihilus at the same time, not even garnering a flinch. <laughs> Dwarf wields a giant two-bladed axe. He also once wielded a giant mace, but the mace was destroyed by one of my favorite lesser-used cosmic characters, Uh Gladiator. He's the tanky guy. He's getting in your face. He's smashing things. He's their Hulk. He's a slow Hulk. He's a Hulk without the gamma launch. Yeah, he's their Ben Grimm. He's any number of these just big, heavy hitters. Wonderful. Chris... Closing out our lore section, I know it's coming, but let's go ahead and talk about this comic book recommendation. It is no surprise here that I'm going to recommend Infinity by Jonathan Hickman. Oh, yes. Published in 2013. Chris, I would say I enjoyed this on the level that I enjoyed Annihilation. It's that good. It's just a really fun story. Hickman tells a very nuanced, layered story. That's what I'm glad you mentioned that. It's very intellectual. Some of his critics might say quasi-intellectual, but it's something that appeals to me. It's it's more grown up. For something to be this fun, you mentioned, and bombastic, for it to have that deeper level of intellect and sort of thought behind it was a nice surprise. It's less pulp and more bordering on literature when you really want to get to it. 
I like that a lot. And that says a lot when there's a lot of these giant battles and stuff, all the way from fleet battles down to hand-to-hand combat of main characters. It's got it all, Chris, but it's also shockingly deep explorations of characters like Corvus Glaive and the Ebony Maw. You see a lot of that deepness. And on top of that, too, I got to know the Inhumans better off this because I know them. Every time there's a crossover event, I see them, but I don't really know them. And I know they're never going to be my favorite group, but it was cool to see him write them in a way that was actually more grounded and more interesting because they're characters that I've cared less about. I understand. Of course, the Inhumans kind of a little bit controversial a few years ago as Marvel kind of made a play to turn them into the new X-Men in the comics and kind of downplayed the X-Men because it did not seem they were ever going to get the rights to make X-Men movies from Fox at that point. So the Inhumans kind of looked on a little dismissively at the moment because of that, kind of trying to be force-fed to fandom. But of course, I really like Black Bolt. Yeah. I think he's a super interesting character. Karnak is one of my favorite characters as well. Very cool. You have a lot of other Marvel characters that have been associated with the Inhumans for years. Johnny Storm, Quicksilver, Ronan. They're really cool. They're really interesting. A lot of court intrigue. And you get into that in Abnet's Marvel Cosmic when you get into Realm of Kings and War of Kings. Which I stuff I hope we get to in the future, Chris. And of course, you can't forget special, special doggy Lockjaw. Everybody loves Lockjaw. That's actually true. All right, Chris, starting with Corvus Glaive. His name is Corvus Glaive. His alter ego is Corvus Glaive. He has six stamina, a medium speed, a height of two, a threat of four. His defenses are three physical, three energy, three mystic. Anything stand out to you about this stat line, Chris? Right off the bat, we get threes across the board for defense. On a four threat. On a four threat. That seems a little low, so I'm guessing he's going to have some things that make up for it. Turns out he does. Other than that, he's just standard. It is notable here. He is a medium move, and Chris and I would never lead you astray, and I try to always bring this up. He is the bigger-sized base, that medium-sized base. Yes, he is. So a medium move on a medium-sized base, of course. Similar to a long mover. Very similar to a long mover. Let's get into his first attack, Chris. His first attack is a physical attack. It is strike. It is range two, strength five, power cost zero. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. On wilds, you will trigger pierce. One of my favorite abilities out there. And on a strike, that's kind of wild in and of itself. It's good. Change one of the defending characters critical, wild, or block results to a blank. That's cool. There are some characters that that's not going to work against that blanks count as defense. That's absolutely true. Dice for you. But those characters are few and far between at the moment and not always super popular in the meta. Plus, it's only one model on the table. You can deal with it. You also don't have to spend the wild to do it. You don't have to pierce. Chris, his second attack is an energy attack called Atom Splitter. It's a range four, four dice, zero cost attack. After this attack is resolved, this character gains one power. So we've seen powers like this on characters before. Longer range than their strike, less of a ceiling to gain power than their strike. It gains one power no matter what, which is always a nice guarantee. Four dice at range four, not terrible, not amazing. Range four is really nice though. On a medium sized base with medium move, you're going to get this off a lot. 
it's nice. It's nice filler for when you can't do anything else. You can at least get a power out of the deal. You know, not bad. Get you set up to use the next attack when you do get into that closer range. And that next attack is Death Blow. It is a physical attack. It is a range three. Love it. Strength seven. Power cost four. Oof. After this attack is resolved, this character may advance medium. On a wild, you will trigger flurry. After this attack is resolved, this character may make a strike attack. So on a wild, you're going to get to make an extra five dice attack Correct. with pierce on wild that will gain damage provided you are within range two. And Chris, you're going to be in range two because you were range three and then now you've advanced medium. And the best part about this death blow is it says may advance medium. So if you're already range two, you do the death blow, you don't even have to advance medium. But I have used this a lot to great success to advance past the character closer to an objective or something, but then stay in that striking range. Very big brain. That's nice. It's very fun. Let's talk about his superpowers. They're pretty simple and they're pretty great. His first superpower is an active superpower called Glaive's Edge. It costs three power during the next strike or death blow attack this turn this character adds blanks in its attack roll to its total successes dice fixing basically guaranteeing every side of the die except the skull is a positive result when you do a death blow or strike pretty awesome very expensive three cost but when you have this cost you're going to do it and it's going to help you secure kills his next superpower is a reactive superpower it is Husband of Proxima Midnight. It costs zero. At the end of this character's activation, if it is within range four of an allied Proxima Midnight, this character may use this superpower. If the allied Proxima Midnight does not have an activated token, she may activate before your turn ends. There you go. That's cool, man. It's very cool. Very good to be able to team up with these two characters and just eliminate in one turn or flip a card to dazed in one turn. Back to back activations. Very cool. Yeah, this is going to just be a great tool, Chris, as you said, maybe deleting someone or even getting Proxima to go pass out some conditions, which we're going to get to in a bit. You don't have to do this. That's the best part of it. It's not every time Corvus goes, Proxima has to go after. Every time Proxima goes, Corvus has to go after. It's optional. So it's really a nice tool when you want to use it. Closing Corvus out, he has two innate superpowers left. First one is Glaive of Immortality. When this character would suffer damage from an enemy effect, notice it says enemy effect, not attack, which is good. It also means throws or anything like that. Reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one. So no matter what, He's going to take one, like we talked about last week with Drax, but anytime he's taking more than one damage, he's always reducing one, which is essentially a fixed die on his defenses of a block, which is absolutely wonderful. What's interesting about this, Chris, is things like Shuri gets around this. Shuri's ping gets around this because it's one damage, never higher. Right. That chip damage can bring him down in an interesting way, but this is a great way to sustain him through the game. This is better than having four dice on defense. First of all, it's guaranteed. Second of all, people much smarter than I have done the math. Gotta love it. And his last innate superpower is that he is a gem bearer of the reality gem and the time gem. And this is something we're going to go into a bit later in our closing Black Order episode. But I will mention, Chris, while we're here, the time gem costs two threat and it costs two power 
to perform its active superpower. This character may perform an additional action. This activation superpower may only be used once per turn. So get three activations out of Corvus with this. Pretty good. But let's go to the real star of the Corvus Glaive Infinity Gem show, and that is the Reality Gem. It is one threat cost. It gives you an innate ability called Reality Gem. When rolling dice as part of an attack, defense, dodge, or interact roll, this character treats one skull in its dice results as a critical. Very cool. I have taped this card to Corvus for the foreseeable future. It just makes his attacks hit so much harder, Chris, but on top of that, it makes his defense better. And something that you really can't ignore here is notice it says when you interact. So those type of objectives where you have to roll a critical to pick up the Kree power core, for instance, he rolls a skull, he gets it. So it automatically makes him better at certain objectives as well. And he is a great candidate for the reality gem at five threat. But let's move on to the wonderful Proxima Midnight. Her name is Proxima Midnight. Her alias is Proxima Midnight. She has five stamina. She is a long mover, size two, threat level three. Her physical defense is three. Her energy defense is three. And her mystic defense is three. Jesse, is there anything that stands out to you about this? Well, of course, it looks pretty similar to Corvus's card, except that she's a long mover and one less health. She has five stamina on the front, also five stamina on the back, and I forgot to mention it with Corvus, but he has six on the front and also six on the back. So they're looking pretty similar, Chris, in their attributes because they have the same defense as well. That's what stands out the most, I think. But her being a long mover is really nice. They're both really good at getting across the board. I like it very very much. Notice she's three threat, Chris. And something I'll mention about both these characters is they both fit in many more places than just the Black Order. Proxima, especially because she's a long mover that's three threat with great attacks and great defenses with her superpower baked in. So she just is a nice character. Her base stats are not the only place she looks similar Mm. to Corvus Glaive. Let's talk about her first attack. It is a physical attack. It is strike. It is range two. Strength five, power cost zero. Uh, It's going to get even more interesting here in a second. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. And on wild, you will trigger pierce, just like we talked about with Corvus a second ago. Change one of the defending characters' critical, wild, or block results to a blank. Pierce is good. Pierce is good. It's also a five die strike. It's also fine. I like it. Proxima's second attack is an energy attack called Spear Throw. It's range three, a strength of five, and a power cost of zero. Again, after this attack was resolved, place Proxima within range one of the target. Notice it doesn't say may. It just happens. It has a wild trigger poison. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the poison special condition. So this is cool, Chris. If she's close range, she's going to strike, gain some power hopefully pierce. If she's longer range, she's going to throw her spear, hopefully poison them. But most importantly, now she's range one of the target. It gives her some extra movement that we did not expect on a long mover. I was just fixing to say that this is another great way for her to navigate across the board, get to where she needs to be. And then also staying within range of Corvus can get him activated too. Oh, absolutely. And this is no laughing matter, this distance, Chris. If she long moves and then she spear throws range three, and then think of the width of whatever target's base you're targeting, plus range one. That's a lot of movement. That's a lot of movement. And I have used this ability many, many times, not just as a decent attack, 
but I've used it as a way to reposition Proxima without moving her. Maybe get her on the opposite side of that character to that objective. Now she's contesting it. And then her second action, you just regular strike. It's good. Very good. Let's talk about her last attack. It is an energy attack. It is Quantum Starburst. It is a range 4, strength 6, power cost 4. That's also similar to Corvus having a high power cost last attack. If this attack deals damage, after this attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed, poison, and stun special conditions. Okay. Not a pick one. They get all three. You mentioned this last week, Chris, and I'm going to mention again, just echoing what you said, giving the opponent auto conditions without any fear of rolling a wild or anything is a great tactic. Knowing exactly when you're going to get conditions that are always going to happen. Oh yeah. It's so good. Notice with Corvus, his is a little bit stronger. It's seven dice, but if he gets the wild, he gets also to move and attack. Very, very powerful for deleting, but you need to get that wild to do that. Hers is a little less attack, six, but she guarantees she gets these conditions. Also, she has a little bit more range than Corvus with the four. So they really balance each other out in interesting ways. Hers is a little safer. Corvus is a little riskier, but when it works, man, it works. Her first superpower is a reactive superpower called Martial Prowess. Cost two power. This is going to look pretty familiar after a Gamora episode. When this character is targeted by an attack within range two, it may use this superpower. Instead of rolling dice equal to her defense, she rolls five defense dice. If Proxima suffers no damage from the attack, after the attack is resolved, the attacker suffers two damage. So this is a way, Chris, to buff up your defense. And then maybe if you suffer no damage, you also get a little baked in counter-strike. It's nice. I like the idea of using this on maybe some bad dice rolls, maybe a four dice strike, something that you can realistically block and sneak that ping damage in. It can be used a little bit offensively if you're situationally aware. Right. Maybe that's a way to look at her too on the board. If she's on an objective or something and she has two power, do you really want to strike her with someone with a not so great strike, like a four? Let's talk about her next superpower. It is another reactive superpower. It is Wife of Corvus Glaive. And of course, we just went over a very similar superpower with Corvus Glaive to reiterate at the end of this character's turn, if it is within range four of an allied Corvus Glaive, then you can activate this. If Corvus Glaive has not activated yet this turn, he can activate before the end of Proxima's turn. Exactly the same wording. Wonderful. So now you can go with either one, Chris. It's not just so much Corvus has to go first and things like that. Opens up a lot of strategic thinking and strategic plays. Absolutely. And of course, closing Proxima out, she also has a very similar power to Corvus Glaive. Invulnerability. When this character would suffer damage from enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one. Once again, Chris, these characters are much, much tankier than they look, and that's worth mentioning. So before we move on, Chris, Corvus and Proxima are, without a doubt, the standouts of this faction, not only because they work so well together, they work so well split up, but they even work so well anywhere you throw them. And I say that because we're about to get into two guys that fit in less places, but when they do their job right... Man, they can do their job. It's just sometimes I feel like they get overshadowed by Corvus and Proxima because they're so versatile. So 
Ebony Ma or the Ebony Ma. His alter ego is Ebony Ma. On his healthy side, he has seven stamina, a medium move, a height of two, a threat cost of five. His defenses are two physical, two energy, six mystic. And on his injured side, he has a whopping four stamina. So it puts the man at 11 total, Chris, which is fine. It's not exceptional. A little low for a five threat. And so we'll probably get to that in a bit. Anything stand out to you about this character's baseline stats? The thing that stands out to me the most right away is not a very tactical discussion. It's more of a direction of the game discussion. They took the MCU yes. route with Ebony Maw. He is the strongest Sans Thanos in this faction, at least threat-wise. Right. Technical thinking-wise, you could argue that others might fit better or fit in the meta better. But as far as game canon goes, this is MCU Ebony Maw. Very true. What is interesting, though, Chris, I will give the wonderful team of Tommy Mass this credit. He does have some nods to the lore we just talked about today with some of his language and names of powers, which is really cool. His first attack is a mystic attack. How refreshing is to say the first attack on someone's card is mystic. Don't get to say it often. No. Called Black Tongue. It's a range four. What? Strength of five, power cost of zero. It has a wild trigger, sinister influence. After this attack is resolved, you may advance the target character short. Notice it says advance with nothing behind it, Chris. It doesn't say toward or away. It just says advance. So they get moved somewhere of your choice range short. After this attack is resolved, this character gains one power. So before we move on, Chris, we'll just say it outright. Ebony Maw does not have a strike. He does not have a power builder attack. This is it. He does his range four, five dice. Maybe I trigger wild and get to move you short, but I definitely get one power off this, but that's it. I think that his imbalance of health plays a factor here. I think that might be why they did it so that you're not sitting on just six health or five health on the front of the card. You have seven to build up your power a little bit more from taking a little bit of damage. So he gets a little bit more time on his healthy side to build damage, to be able to use his bigger attack, which we will talk about in just a second. But of course, you know, we'll get to it in superpowers. He does have a bit of economic generation built into the kit. But yeah, it is very odd to not have a generic strike option on a character. It's very odd. His next attack is another mystic attack. Love it. It is called Herald of Doom. It is a range four, strength eight. That's high. Cost four. The target character does not gain power for the damage dealt by this attack. Love it. And on a wild you trigger throw, if the target character is size two or less, which is most of the characters in this game. After this attack is resolved, it may be thrown short. That is a throw. That's right. That's cool. That's good. It's collision damage, so someone's taking a ping. And then, of course, if you throw the target into another character, now they're making a three dodge save. Not bad. This is a good attack, Chris. It's eight dice. I mean, you can't complain. Like, it's really wonderful. Four cost is very high. We've talked about before. Throws are great. This is what you want to be doing with Maul. This is it. Oh, yeah. Let's get into his superpowers because they really flush him out. His first superpower is an active superpower called Telekinetic Powerhouse. It costs three power. Choose an interactive terrain feature of size 
four or less. What? Notice it just says terrain, though, not character, so it wouldn't be too broken. And within range three, and throw it long. <laughs> wow. This superpower can only be used once per turn. So cool. So notice, Chris, this is almost the same as Modox throw, except it costs more, which at first seems not good because it's three and Modox is two. All the world is a weapon to Modok. But the Maw's throw is size four or less, and Modox is size three. So I think that balances out the economy. What do you think? I think that size four is worth it, especially if you're kind of sneaking Ebony Maw into, you know, maybe special lists where Avengers. there's a lot of terrain on the board. Or if you're going against someone that has a Hulk, man, if there's a Hulk on the board, I throw everything I can as soon as I can just to take that away from him. Yeah, also just chip away his health quick because his defenses are not good on Hulk. Yeah, I just think it's cool, Chris, because these are long throws of terrain, which is crazy in this game. It's it's a thing we do not see often at all. So it's cool to see these big psychic characters doing it. And it makes perfect sense thematically. It's just interesting. And this will not be the last MODOK analogy I make. Next superpower it is a reactive superpower. It is mind over matter. It's going to cost two power. When this character is targeted by an attack or would make a dodge roll, you may use this superpower. This character uses its mystic defense to defend or dodge. We knew it was coming. We knew he was going to have a defensive ability somewhere. Turns out it's a pretty good one. Of course, it is. Once again, all this costs a lot, Chris, but this one's worth it every time if you can afford it. And once again, this is probably why he's a neat choice in Avengers, because if you're throwing size four terrain features long for two, and you're doing mind over matter for one and defending oh, with absolutely. six dice, that makes him pretty scary. I love the superpower. It's so thematic. He's picking up terrain. He's moving things in front of him to defend himself, exactly like we see in the movie. It's great. I think it's absolutely wonderful, flavorful, everything I want. His last two superpowers are both innate. They're pretty simple. The first one is incredible psychic potential. During the power phase, this character gains two additional power. So every power oh, phase, it. Chris, this character is gaining three power. Well, it also just reiterates how good he'll be in Avengers with that extra power generation and the economic discounts he's getting. It's pretty nasty. Absolutely. And his last innate superpower is he has flight and he's a gym bearer of the mind in space gyms. The mind gym is one threat cost. It's the active superpower called mind gym. It costs two power. Choose an enemy character within range three and advance it short. The superpower may be used only once per turn. And the Space Gem is a threat cost of two. It's an active superpower called Space Gem that costs two power. Choose this character or another allied character within range three and place it within range two of its current position. This superpower can be used only once per turn. So one of them moves enemies short. And one of them moves yourself or allies range two. Both good positional tools for the Maw. The problem with these gems, Chris, and especially the Space Gem in particular, it costs two. The Maw's already five, so that's seven. The Mind Gem's a little bit more easy to swallow because he's five and the Mind Gem costs one. So I put him at six. Still pretty unbearably high. Oh, absolutely. You get someone like Loki with the Mind Gem for five. It's just a very large investment when you can be spending those threat points 
maybe a little wiser. Wiser and safer. And let's be fair about the gyms too, Chris. Everyone in the game that's a gym bear can have one gym. So we talked about earlier kind of going ahead and taping the reality gym to Corvus. Something I didn't mention earlier about Corvus with the reality gym. Of course, that makes his attacks and defenses so consistent. But almost even more important than that, Corvus is getting one extra power every power phase. And the same goes for the Maw. So the Maw is already getting three power just being the Maw. If he has a gym, he's getting one more power. So that puts him at four. So there is a consideration there. But actually, what's really strange about the Maw is I think the main reason you take a gym is for that purpose. Is It's for the power. You're not going to use the mind gym every round when it costs two when he could be potentially herald of dooming every turn, right? So this is kind of where the true phantom power of gems is just them gaining the character's power every round. It's such an impactful thing you don't really think about. And it really shines through, especially with Corvus, because now he's doing his bigger attacks more often. He's getting one skull turning into a crit, which is incredible. The engine keeps going, right? But I think the same for the Maw can be said. If you can afford a gem, probably that mine gem, you might try it because the power alone is pretty neat with him. But Chris, I mentioned it up front with him. His backside, he only has four health. That's pretty scary. That's tough. That's when he has to play super safe. Yes, all mind over matter. Can be a little bit more reckless with him on his front side. But the bottom line is you've got a lot invested in this character. He's probably the centerpiece of your strategy given how much power he has, the tactical power he has, when he's flipped to his his injured side, you just have to be very, yes. very careful. All right, Chris, let's close this out with the Black Dwarf. The Black Dwarf, his name is Black Dwarf. His alter ego is Black Dwarf. He has six stamina, a move of short, a height of four, a threat of four. His defenses are four physical, three energy, three mystic and i will preface before we move on and say he has eight stamina on the back so that takes him up to a incredible 14 and he's on a large base he's on a base the size of modok and hulk so he is a short movement just like modok and hulk but keep in mind the largest base anything stand out to you about black dwarf black dwarf kind of appeals to my play style I think he does. He has a lot of stamina. He's a big bruiser. You have to be smart with where you put him. I love him. He's tanky, too. I just really like him. Height four is not doing you any favors when it comes to cover. No. He needs size four buildings and terrain are bigger, which is limited in this game, but he can get it, but he doesn't really care. No, he's got so much stamina. We talked about the strength of just Drax's stamina. This guy's got more health than Drax, which is nice. Of course he should, because he's four threat, but he is the healthiest four threat in the game. That's worth mentioning. His first attack is a physical attack called Axe Strike. It's a range two, six strength, zero power cost attack. After this attack has resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. Pretty standard strike, Chris, except it's six, which is the upper echelon of good numbers for the most basic strikes with no special triggers. It's very cool. You got to expect something with like that with a threat level of four and no wild triggers on that strike. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. get that extra dice. He is a heavy hitter. He does want to be up in it, and that makes sense. 
His next attack is a physical attack. It is Brutal End. It is range 3, strength 8, power cost 4. Another big power cost 4 attack. That's kind of a theme here with the Black Order. (laughs) It is. On a wild, you're going to trigger Stagger. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains a Stagger special condition. Best condition in the game. A lot of dice, man. A lot of attack dice. A lot of attack dice. Obviously, a lot higher chance to get that Stagger, which is going to be a really nice icing on this cake of all this damage. Yeah, I think it's great. It's what you want to be doing with him. And notable too, Chris, it's range three, which I really like. So he doesn't have to be range two to do this a big attack. Also a thing we've seen with the Black Order, the four power cost attack death's blow on Corvus is range three. The four power cost big attack on Proxima Quantum Starburst is range four. And the four power cost mystic attack herald of doom on the ebony maw is range four and then the four power cost eight strength attack on black dwarf is range three so yeah these are really pricey attacks yeah they're not going to happen all the time or even that often if unless you know you're playing the game absolutely perfect but the range is nice because when you have the power you're probably going to get them off i do like that extra bit of range it it just helps not have to be so perfect on your positioning. It's a little more forgiving than a range two big attack. I'm glad they did that. His first superpower is an active superpower called Black Fury. Costs three power. Choose an interactive train feature or enemy character. Both size four or less and within range two. Throw it medium. The superpower can be used only once per turn. So there we go, Chris. We have... The first character in this faction that can throw other characters, and it's size four or less, so he's throwing the Hulk. He's throwing Modok. It's happening. Super cool and super thematic. This guy, he's a big guy. He fights with these other big guys, like I was saying. He's going to be mixing it up with Hulk. He's going to be mixing it up with Ben Grimm, the thing. He's going to be mixing it up with Thor. He's going to be in there with the big heavy hitters. And notice, you know, it's range two, so a lot closer. And he throws it medium, so less range than the Ebony Maw, which, of course, range three, throwing long, but still gamma shelters. Oh, yeah. You're mm-hmm. going to be doing this all the time. Throw them out of that gamma shelter, throw them into someone else, take the collision damage, make the dodge save, and guess what? Now they're out of the objective, not scoring, and taking that gamma radiation damage. That's pretty sweet. His next superpower is an active superpower. It is Enforced Oblivion. It costs two. This character makes a move action. The next attack it makes, this activation adds two dice to its attack roll. Very cool way to go ahead and take that move action if you have the extra power, but add a couple dice to that brutal end if you're just sitting on a ton of power or adding a couple dice to that strike to possibly gain a little bit more power. You're not going to do this all the time, Chris. It's going to be more niche, but it's like if you had to move anyways to get in range two or three to your other attack and you can afford to do this, you're probably going to do it because you were going to move anyways. So might as well do this special move where you move anyways, but now you get extra dice. It does cost you power, which is worth mentioning though. His next superpower is a reactive superpower called Intimidating Presence. It costs two power. When an enemy character within range two of the Black Dwarf targets another allied character with an attack, this character may use the superpower. Black Dwarf becomes the target of the attack. 
regardless of range and line of sight. So the way this works, Chris, normally Captain America needs to be ranged to of whoever's being targeted. So say thematic scenario here, Hawkeye is shooting Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, across the table. Captain America is range two of Bucky. He can now trigger Bodyguard. Take the attack on him regardless of range and line of sight, right? Black Dwarf has this weird, completely aggro flipped version of Bodyguard. As long as Black Dwarf's range two of the enemies and they attack anyone else that's not Black Dwarf, he can trigger this and take all attacks on him. It just goes to reinforce that Black Dwarf wants to be right up in it. He wants to be in the middle of the map. He wants to be pursuing those characters on the outside, giving Hawkeye hell. It just reinforces that you need to be playing this character. Oh, I have to. Absolutely have to. And he has one last superpower. It is an innate superpower. It is something you might expect already. It's called invulnerable skin. Love it. Very thematic. When this character would suffer damage from an enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one. Once again, enemy effects, not just enemy attack. Right. Very cool Pretty good. damage reducer on top of, you know, decent. 14 health. Yeah, 14 health <laughs> and a good physical defense. He's tanky. You either need to focus all fire into him or ignore him entirely. Right. There's no middle ground. He's very similar to Hulk in that fashion. Chris, that's the Black Order. We did it. We made it through a robust strategy section. This is a fun faction. We have some interesting things planned for them in the coming weeks. So stay with us. We hope you guys were really enjoying this brand new series on the Black Order. It will continue next week. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Crisis Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. Follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us at Fury's Finest at gmail.com with show ideas, Marvel thoughts, and anything else you would love to talk to us about. Continue to leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. Also, while we're here, Chris, we talked about it last week. I'll talk about it again. We're working on a maps, terrain, components featured episode in the future. If you make maps, if you make terrain, if you make components for MCP, reach out to us at our email. We'd love to review your stuff, get it on this particular special episode of the podcast. You can also check out our new merch on tpublic.com. If you type in Fury's Finest, you can find us. Or if you check the show notes and our social media pages, you can find a direct link to our page. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music and help spread the word about our show. Please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jesse Aiken. That's J-E-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. Check out my new podcast, Project Starhawk, which is all about the Star Wars Squadrons game, which Chris comes out in a couple days. I cannot wait. Oh, I am so excited. Follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Chris Breffitt, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. Thanks for listening, true believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Tin Buck says you're wrong.
rejoice. You have had the privilege of being saved by the great Titan. You may think this is suffering. No. It is salvation. The universal scales tip toward balance because of your sacrifice. Smile. For even in death, you have become children of Thanos. Thanos. 